We gather tonight to remember our Savior's sacrifice and to reflect on the power of his love towards us when he said, not my will, but thine. You know, nearly a third of the Gospels are dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. Why? Because the actions of that last week frame all of history. Those few hours are the dividing line between heaven and hell, between being lost and being found, between eternal life and eternal death, between faith, hope, and love, and despair and loss and emptiness, between acceptance from God and condemnation for our sins. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are the defining moments for every single person on planet Earth for all of history. Tonight I want to look at just a few hours of that week. It is perhaps in these moments as we look in the garden that we can most identify with the humanity of Christ and most rely upon the divinity of Christ. He is the one and only God-man. We see his humanity in his agony and we see his divinity in his resolve. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, and follow along as I read verses 36 through 46. It says, And then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. After finishing that Passover meal, after detailing his coming suffering and instituting the communion service, they sang a hymn and started to walk to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. Along the walk, Jesus reassures them of his resurrection. He tells the disciples that they will desert him in fear. He tells Peter that he will deny him three times. But Peter and and all the disciples respond together saying, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Oh, how their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak. So as they arrive at Gethsemane, Jesus told the disciples to sit there and pray. Then he takes Peter, James, and John a little further into the garden. And Jesus began to be visibly grieved and sorrowful. 
And he told those three with him, his closest companions, he said, my soul is very sorrowful and even to the point of death, remain here and watch with me. Oh, how their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak. Then Jesus goes further by himself and he falls on his face onto the ground and he prays, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And again, in verse 42, Jesus prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. The question we're going to try to answer tonight is, what was in that cup? What was in that cup? What was it that troubled Jesus so? What is it that brought such grief and sorrow to his heart? What is it that literally had Jesus on his face in prayer? What was in that cup? What was it that Jesus asked his father if he had to drink? Sometimes I think it's easy for us to just come to the immediate conclusion that the cup he's asking to pass from him is his upcoming crucifixion. The brutality and the suffering that Jesus endures is far beyond what any human would ever willingly endure. Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew that was part of God's plan. He knew exactly what his crucifixion would mean and the physical suffering that he would have to the point of his death. He knew it. It just seems reasonable and logical to us that any human would not want to experience such pain. If given the option, any and every human would ask that the cup of the crucifixion pass from him. But in reality, many humans have held strong to their faith and endured incredible persecution, even to the point of death. Is this the cup from, from him that he is asking the upcoming crucifixion? Is that what Jesus is asking for? No, I don't think it's the physical cup of the, of the crucifixion that he is he's fretting. Jesus is not praying to the Father to see if there's some other way than being crucified. Warren Wiersbe said, We must not think that it is the fear of death that made our Lord so agonized in the garden. He did not fear death but he faced it with courage and peace. He was about to drink the cup that his father had prepared for him. And this meant bearing on his body the sins of the world. Every step of Jesus' life, when he faced death, he faced it with courage and peace. But the thought of bearing the sin of the world would literally bring him to his knees. It's important for us to open our spiritual eyes and to look at this passage with a biblical, eternal, and spiritual perspective. In Psalm 75, in Isaiah 51, in Jeremiah 25, and in Revelation 11, the cup of the Lord is mentioned. The cup of the Lord is the pouring out of God's anger. The cup of the Lord is God's wrath. The cup of the Lord is God's righteous judgment on sin. Jesus agonized over drinking the cup of God's wrath. The first part of drinking the cup was the fact that Jesus would become sin. His holy nature revolted at the prospect of being made sin. Sin cannot stand in the presence of divine holiness. Yet his holy will was one with the Father and he willingly chose to bear our sin. 
for those terrible hours, all the horrific sins of all of mankind for all of time were draped upon perfect, spotless holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Jesus, who had never sinned, Jesus, who was perfect and holy, became sin for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. When Jesus died, he not only died for our sins, he died because of our sins. He not only died for our sins, he died because of our sins. Well, the next part of drinking from the cup was having to endure the judgment of God because of those sins. It's not just that Jesus bore our sins, but that he actually paid the penalty for our sins. He took the just punishment for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. He was our atoning sacrifice. 1 John 2.2 2 says that he is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation means the turning away of wrath by an offering. Propitiation means placating, satisfying the wrath of God by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The only way our sins could ever be forgiven by God was for someone who was holy, who was perfect, who was a spotless sacrifice to be in our place as our offering, as our atoning sacrifice and to take the just penalty for our sins. At the heart of our salvation, it's not just the love of God wanting to reconcile mankind to himself, but it's also the holiness of God and his justice. The gospel is not just a positive message of a loving God that came to save, that came to rescue mankind, but the gospel is also a negative message that all sin will be punished, eternally punished. And if you stand outside the atonement of Christ, if you stand on your own, bearing the penalty of your own sins and not under the grace and forgiveness of Christ, with him bearing the penalty for your sins, then God's judgment will come upon you and you will be condemned. You see, heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. And the difference in our destination is Who is paying for your sins? Jesus or you? You see, God loves us so much that he himself would be our sacrifice. That he himself would take the penalty. But the cup wasn't just for our sins. The cup wasn't just as our sacrifice. The cup that Jesus had to drink included his separation from the Father. Matthew 27 45 and 46 says, Now from the sixth hour, that's noon, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma, sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
This is perhaps the most personally devastating reality for Jesus and what he had to endure. For the first time ever, from all of eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, the Son had never known any separation from his Father. But now for the very first time and the only time, while bearing the sin of the world and while bearing God's wrath for that sin, Jesus endured being forsaken by his Father. The Father had never forsaken any of his own, except for Jesus, who suffered the separation for us. One commentator said, Jesus knew that he would temporarily be separated from God the moment he took upon himself the sins of the world, because God cannot look on sin. This separation was the cup that Jesus had dreaded as he prayed in Gethsemane. The physical agony was horrible. The spiritual alienation from God was the ultimate torture. Jesus suffered this double death so that we would never have to experience eternal separation from God. You see, Jesus endured the physical suffering of the crucifixion. Jesus bore in his body the sins of the whole world. Jesus was our atoning sacrifice, taking God's wrath in our place. Jesus was forsaken by his Father, separated from God. This was the cup that Jesus willingly drank for us. And he did it freely, knowingly, and purposefully. When Jesus said, not my will, but yours, he was not struggling with what to do. He was not looking for a way out. He was not wrestling with God's will or in any way resisting God's will. But instead, as he had at every moment, at every time, he willingly was yielding himself to God's will. He was always the perfect son of God. As perfect man, he felt the incredible burden of sin and his holiness was offended by it. As a divine son of God, he knew that the cross was his mission and his father's plan was for him to be the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. <laughs> the mystery of his humanity and deity is seen vividly in the Garden of Gethsemane. In light of all this, in light of all this that has happened in the Garden, as I read Romans 6, Romans 5, 6 through 11, Maybe these verses will hold some new significance to you. Listen, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Have you been saved? From God's wrath? Has Jesus drunk the cup of God's wrath for you? Have you been reconciled to God by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ? Do you know the love of God personally in your life? Do you know that God has shown his love towards you? That while you were still a sinner, Christ 
died for you? Do you know that? There's no better day than today to come to God, to call upon His great love for you, and to put your total faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. Believer, tonight, as we take communion, examine your heart. Pray to God. Pledge to get more serious about your spiritual life. Call upon His Holy Spirit to teach you and to move you. Do whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. Pray that prayer that Jesus prayed. Not my will, but yours. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for our sin. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, that's exactly what we ask you to do for us right now, is to lead us to Calvary. Lead us to Gethsemane. Lead us to your agony. Lead us to your love for us. Lord, show us the new ways through your Spirit in our time of singing, in our time of communion, in new ways, Lord. Comfort us, love us, hold us, challenge us, change us so that we could be more like Jesus, so that we could glorify our Savior, your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.